during the pandemic, I was in a ton of debt. Um, I was just going to go bankrupt for the project. Um, I would do anything for the project. Uh, my wife and I had very little furniture. We're sleeping on a popped air mattress. We bought a used air mattress from Walmart and our cat Garfield popped it. So every night at like midnight and then at three in the morning, we would have to like fill it up with a hair blow dryer. We didn't even have like a pump. So we'd fill it up with the hair blow dryer. Um, I was doing Uber late at night to pay for the first free water proto, like real manufactured, but initial prototypes. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, we will talk all about water. It's astonishing to think that despite our planet being composed of 75% water, many regions still lack access to clean and affordable water. Today, we will uncover the incredible work of free water a company revolutionizing the way we view water consumption. Through their innovative advertising packaging, Free Water provides free and clean water to all, while also making a significant impact to the global water crisis by donating 10 cents from every bottle to build water wells in disadvantaged communities. Join us as we explore the intriguing history of the plastic bottle and the marketing tactics that convince consumers to pay for something so abundant. We'll also delve into Freewater's impressive TikTok following of around 1 million people examining their successful marketing strategies. And of course, we'll look ahead to the future and the ambitious plans that Freewater has in store to combat this global issue. When I was in my first year of college, I took a class called World Health where we analyzed different health-related issues countries around the world faced. For our big project in the class, we had to pick a country to do a health analysis on. I chose to report on the Democratic Republic of Congo due to its striking health statistics. Mainly, the lack of access to clean drinking water, which was causing malnutrition and disease. I remember doing the research and wondering, why can't we solve this problem of clean water? In the US, all I knew was clean water whether I took a shower, drank water out of a fountain, or used it to cook with. So why did I have access to clean water and other people didn't? In a world where water covers 75% of our planet, it's disheartening to realize that communities like those in the Democratic Republic of Congo still struggle to find clean water sources. While numerous organizations are working tirelessly to address this global problem, free water stands out for its innovative approach and unwavering commitment. Our guest on the Green Hour today has spent the last several years working to bring clean water to places like DRC. Josh Cliffords is the founder and CEO of Free Water, an innovative advertising platform that utilizes spring water as a new type of advertising medium while prioritizing philanthropy and sustainability. They give the bottles away for free and they are able to do this because the labeling on the bottle is ad space. The best part is 10 cents from each beverage is donated to charity to build water wells for people in need. So how did Josh get the idea of free water, you may ask? On his 30th birthday, Josh Clifford's made a life-altering decision. 
He sold everything he owned to embark on a trip around the world with a goal of visiting 100 countries in just four years. Little did he know that this journey would lead him to a profound encounter in Rome with two Nigerian refugees that would forever change the course of his life. He delved deep into their stories and discovered that a significant percentage of refugees had fled their homelands due to the lack of basic necessities like water, food, and medicine. Driven by compassion and a burning desire to make a tangible impact, Josh decided to cancel the rest of his world trip and created the nonprofit organization called Save the Refugees. But he didn't stop there. Josh went on to establish Free Water, a groundbreaking organization that tackles not just one, but two critical issues plaguing our world today, waste and access to clean water. Through innovative packaging made from aluminum and paper, Free Water aims to minimize plastic waste, providing a sustainable alternative for water consumption. And the response has been overwhelming. With a TikTok following of around 1 million people, it's evident that people worldwide are rallying behind the free water movement. Water was meant to be freely accessible to all. So why is it that companies around the world profit from selling something that should be a fundamental human right? The answer lies in a form of greed. Greed that has led to price gouging of plastic water bottles worldwide. And with price gouging and with consumption of plastic water bottles comes alarming rates of waste. But amidst this troubling reality, there are champions like Josh and the visionary team at Free Water who are determined to restore balance. Their mission is simple, yet revolutionary, to empower consumers by providing a tangible good that costs nothing. Clean water, a basic necessity, should never be a privilege reserved for the few. Through their innovative approach, Free Water is paving the way for a future where everyone, regardless of their circumstances, can access this essential resource. For my 30th birthday, I went on a trip around the world and I was a quarter of the way done with the trip. I was in Rome and I met a couple of Nigerian brothers who were refugees and their story was so sad that uh, I was compelled to cancel my trip and start a nonprofit organization in, in Eastern Europe called Save the Refugees. And on and off volunteering for roughly a year and a half, we helped thousands of people from a lot of different countries. And a quarter of them at least expressed that they had left their country because they didn't have water or food. And that kind of just, I was actually already working on other free ideas, free taxi, free electricity when I was traveling. And that really opened my eyes to the global water crisis, um, global famine, and could these things be solved or not? And here we are today. So so you're in Austin, Texas, correct? Yeah, we're in Austin. I think it was the third episode I had was with a guy by the name of Alex Blum of Applied Bioplastics. And he had a similar type story where he, you know, he was in tech sales. He was making a lot of money, but he decided that, you know, he needed more purpose in his life. You know, he, he needed to do something. So very similar. He went and actually to Bangladesh and saw some refugees in the Rohingya genocide. And from that whole experience, that kind of brought about his company. So it's, it's very interesting to tie things together. And Austin seems like a great, great area for startups, great area for business in general, and great, great area for social type businesses. So you sold everything um, on your 30th birthday, traveled the world. And that's just that, that's just crazy. I mean, what 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 was in your mind then to make you want to you know, sell all of your possessions and travel the world? It wasn't the first time. Uh, 
a decade before, or I guess seven, eight years before, in 2010, I, I sold everything. I bought a 1985 Toyota RV, and I traveled around America for more than a year. Oh. And so um, I used to travel a lot in my early 20s as well. And uh, some people had basically said, oh, you're such an American with your American trips. Like you travel a lot, but you're such an American. I was like, what does that mean? Of course I'm an American. Um, they're like, well, you're going on one week, two week, three week trips. They're like, meanwhile, us Europeans or Australians or whatever, we go on like gap years. We do like a whole year or two years. And I'm like, well, how can you afford that? And they're just like, you live like locals and we're probably spending less in 90 days than you are in 10 days. And and then eventually what they said had started to make sense in I thought, you know what, if I don't do a big like gap year style trip, eventually it'll be too late. You'll get married, you'll, you know, you'll get busy. And so I just started making it a priority to go on these adventures. And so I've been on a lot of adventures by now. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've read a lot of books of, of people traveling in Europe and people staying in hostels. So they'll just jump from hostel to hostel and you pay like what, like $15, $20 a night and you can live the life of just traveling and being a traveler. So that's that's really interesting. But I want to dive back into, um, you know, the refugees and, you know, the water scarcity problem that, that that's around the world. Not only water scarcity, but also looking into food waste in the U.S. So can you talk about from what you've seen um, in the U.S. particularly, how is how is food waste contributing to the global problem? So I think the global problem starts at the fact of like the stock market. All these things are publicly traded and we live in a world where scarce things have a value, right? And so unfortunately, the more things that are wasted, it tends to boost up a value instead of the other way around. Um, but in North America, we're the biggest food wasters in the world. A third of all groceries are thrown out at the supermarket, um, not at the consumer's house, but at the supermarket because it's too expensive and because the supply chain is too long. So by the time the product gets there, it it expires before it can be sold. And so a third of all food, that's a lot, um, especially since a lot of these products were manufactured in other countries and then shipped to America. And so the waste is, is massive. And so that's one of the things we're trying to solve um, you know, free water is just the first product of our future free supermarket or free Amazon, if you will. And we've created models that will make our products free, such as free water, but also digital advertising players in the future to make stores like Walmart free the products on their shelf. And believe that that will really cut into this food waste tremendously when you have access to things for free. They, I don't think will sit on the shelf as long. This podcast is called The Green Hour because what we're doing is sharing sustainability stories, spreading education around sustainability and trying to educate the public on all different types of environmentalism. So a big thing we talk about is waste. So, um, you know, when I was researching into free water and, and, and you, Josh, when I looked into food waste, I was like, wow, this is this is a major, major problem. Um, and it, this isn't just. You know, it's not like we're doing a great job in the U.S. I mean, we're, we're contributing, like you said, a third of all supermarket food to the landfill. I mean, it's getting wasted. So that, to me, is not a good thing. Um, there's companies like Panera Bread that I am, I am happy with what they do at the end of every day. 
They will donate, you know, any of the bread that's left over to local charities, local homeless shelters, whatever the case might be. And that's one solution that I think you can you can find a way to use. But that's obviously not solving that massive 30 percent number. So looking looking from that, Josh, and then going into free water, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, um, but could you give a brief and just talk about the concept of free water and and what you're doing? Sure. Um Free Water is a free beverage company. It's it's free spring water in aluminum bottles and paper cartons. And it's free because the packaging is the ad space. That's the catch. Same business model as TikTok, Google, YouTube, a lot of, you know, we had free newspapers in the 90s, still do free magazines. Um, and it's a new type of media and e-commerce platform. So today we just make money off the physical advertising, but we've created dozens of other future revenue streams. That will even enable us in the best scenarios for more than a thousand dollars from a single free water. Um, we never use plastic bottles. Today we do aluminum and paper cartons because they represent the greenest packagings available to us today. But big picture, we aim to make the world's first 100% hemp packaging. So the same thing, just different plants, same filling, same printing, just uh, that doesn't exist yet today, right? Um, but most importantly, we donate a minimum of 10 cents per beverage to fight the global water crisis. And our goal with free water is to get 10% of Americans, 30, 33, 34 million people to drink one free water a day. If you're a bottled water drinker in the U S you're paying for three or more bottles a day right now. So we don't, we're not asking people to spend more. We're asking people to save more. And when we get those 33, 34 million people to drink one free water a day, we'll donate, roughly $1.2 billion to charity annually. And then that's just the beginning because we'll, we'll, we'll scale to other products. So extrapolate that across one day, let's say a hundred free products, a hundred different charitable causes, because every product will have its own designated cause, get 10% of Americans to consume those 100 products daily. And that'll be 125 billion donated annually. But when these events come up where you can earn like $1,000 or $5,000 off of a water or a free bag of potatoes, 10% or more of that transaction will also go to that cost. Very transparent at full scale with these donations. You'll, you'll track the donations down to the penny. Um, if, you, if the public feels that it's not being spent responsibly, they should call and yell at me and I'll make sure that we you clean it up because what we're trying to prove to the world here is that it's it's more profitable to do the right thing than the wrong thing. And so what we'll show is that free water will be, and, and this model will be one of the most altruistic and compassionate, but also extremely profitable. And so we're going to take transparency to the extreme in the future. That way, everybody could see it and feel comfortable and understand it as well as possible. A lot of companies today are not transparent with their waste. They're not transparent with their use of expenditures. They're not transparent with their donations. And so, so yeah, the future is free. The future is localized. Uh, we believe the future is very transparent and as charitable as humanly possible. Yeah. So what it looks like to me is this strategy behind free water, you're solving a lot of issues. So the first issue that I see that you're solving is the, uh, the issue of waste. If we can um, stop producing and consuming so many plastic bottles, then that's only going to help 
with, with waste. The number two thing that you're solving is, you know, you're bringing free water to people every day, which, I mean, that's obviously a great, great thing. And then number three, you're donating. And I, I think it's what, 10% of every free water, every bottle. A minimum of cents, but it'll be 10% or more when we get to a transactional basis, meaning um, we start adding these other tech revenue streams into the mix. Right, right. So so that third thing of, you know, de- donating a minimum of 10 cents um, to a charity to, to, you know, from research I've seen that you are, um, you're, you're donating to, to an organization that's building wells in a third world country, water wells, so that can, um, you know, provide water to people, you know, in, in a place that is not available. So all three of these things that you're solving, and all you're doing is, you know, bringing something to, to people that should be free anyways. I mean, we're, we live yeah. in a world that is what 70% water. I might be butchering that, but 70% water. And you have these major manufacturers making a crap ton of money off of it every day just because they're selling in plastic bottles. So it really doesn't make sense to me as a consumer, why you would pay for water other than convenience. But now what you're doing is you're making it free, but you're also making it convenient. So why would I ever buy a plastic bottle again? Right? Exactly. And It's better than free. Actually, the parent company is currently called Better Than Free. It's better than free because it's free and it donates to charity. Technically, free water is negatively priced, right? And um, even just the first product level, why the free water business model will ultimately be so green is that today manufacturers want to use a plastic bottle because it's the cheapest thing that they could buy. Um, But what you'll see in the future is all the copycats, some of them are are today trying it in plastic bottles even. Um, but they, you just can't print the same level of sophistication as you can on a non-transparent packaging. Um, and then we're also disrupting the junk mail industry, the paper pieces of junk mail in your mailbox at your home in the U S Canada and the UK still has the highest, if not one of the top two highest ROIs in the USA ad industry those pieces of paper in your house's mailbox. Um, but hundreds of millions of trees are being cut down every year for that industry as well. So we're trying to make just on the free water one, the single use plastic bottle that's clear obsolete and, and the junk mail in your mailbox obsolete too. So I'm interested at understanding the whole supply chain of this entire product. So learning, you know, where you're sourcing your, your, uh, your paper cartons from, where you're, where you're sourcing your aluminum um, bottles from, and then also where you're getting the actual water, you know, the main product from. So could you talk about those three things a little bit, you know, those three um, aspects of your product and, and where you're getting those? Sure. So in these early days, we've got different um, springs and manufacturers we've partnered with for both the aluminum bottle and the paper carton, um, all, all done in the lower 48 states. Um, depending on the location that the water will be distributed, uh, we would probably hire the manufacturer closest to that location because water is very heavy and expensive to ship. Um, in the future, when we get into manufacturing the product ourselves, we're going to have to do things a little bit differently. We'll always utilize um, different relationships with different manufacturers, um, but the future is free and the future is localized in new and different ways. And so when we get into manufacturing, uh, we'll capitalize on those things that we can't do today. And it'll all be based around localized production, localized distribution, 
And I'll give you an example. Your trash collector at your house collects the trash consent consecutively, meaning they pick up your trash can, the neighbor's trash can, that neighbor's trash can, hundreds or thousands of homes in a row. Why doesn't Amazon deliver that way? Amazon will drop a package off at your house, drive a long ways, drop a package off at their house, so on and so forth. Amazon can't guarantee delivery to two consecutive homes because their products cost money. So they've built this infrastructure based on, hey, who cares if it's bad for the environment? Who cares how long we have to ship it? Because the end user will pay for all of that. But free and negatively priced products encourage uh, everybody's a customer model unless they opt out. So it's a localized, it's a new way of doing distribution and collection in the future, which will be extremely eco-friendly, right? Because if you compare, hey, I'm, I'm making deliveries to thousands of consecutive homes versus drop off a package, drive three to five miles away over here, then over there, it's it's not the same level of efficiency, right? And so even one day when we've got a bunch of free products being delivered to your home and others consecutively, other companies that sell products will even want to kind of piggyback off of that efficiency. And they'll be like, hey, Preston ordered an, an iPad, you know, and it needs to be delivered by this date. You're already going to their house on this date. Can we hire you to, you're already heading there. Can we hire you to drop off that package too? And so what you'll see is once we create this new free and negatively priced products logistics system that doesn't exist anywhere, people who do the old world uh, way of manufacturing, distribution, selling it, will, will piggyback off these new systems and they'll utilize our carriers to get the product to the consumers in cheaper and more eco-friendly uh, ways too. So if, if I'm someone and I'm listening to this podcast, whenever it's, when, whenever it's released, and I'm like, huh, I really like what Josh is saying. This company sounds amazing. I love the mission. Um, where can I find it? Where can I find free water? Can I get my hands on it? You know, where, where is a location or, or where can people find this product? So in these early days, I'd call this like alpha or beta mode. We've only are in business in the lower 48 states. We once shipped like, I don't know, seven or eight cases to uh, um to an indigenous influencer in Canada who faces water insecurity issues. And we also did a little bit of, I just brought a 12 pack to Europe and just to kind of beta test it out there. Um, but as of right now, it's pretty hard to find us simply because we'll do a lot of B2B business, which is what you don't see on TikTok or Instagram, meaning we ship a pallet or five pallets or whatever it is to the advertiser. And a lot of times they want to be the distributor. So they're just giving it out directly to their clients and they're all doing it in really different ways. I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes it's like an apartment complex. And when you rent an apartment, there's a bunch of information they want you to know um, when you first like get into the place. And so they just wrote all that on the packaging. Um, we've had nonprofits utilize it in different ways. We've had like musicians and artists, they put it right here and they're distributing it at their own events. And so we haven't lined up like distribution and let's say a Walmart yet. Um, but the truth is we haven't even tried. Like we haven't filled out a single form for like a Walmart or a Publix or a Whole Foods yet. Um, we've started the conversations. We're just really busy. Um, there's 16 people on the team and we still don't have enough staff yet. Um, but what you will see is ultimately when we do get distribution and let's say a Walmart, that'll be a major drop in the bucket, uh, literally and figuratively, because it's something like 120 million Americans step foot into a Walmart every week. 
So by getting distribution in a Walmart sort of situation in the future, that'll give a lot of Americans direct access. But again, the next step is uh, pretty cool. Uh, We're just created a relationship with a shipping company. They're offering us no minimums, meaning everyone else said, hey, if you want to ship 24 packs to consumers, you got to do like 500 a month or 10,000 packages a month. This company is really cool. They're like, hey, we follow you on TikTok. We want to help. We want to grow with you. We'll waive any minimums. So in the near future, knock on wood, we'll we'll start shipping 24 packs directly to people's houses. And at first, we'll on the first few hundred, we'll go out of pocket. We'll cover all shipping costs. Depending on where it goes, we'll be on the hook for like nine bucks to 20 bucks a case. Because again, water's heavy. Every 24 pack is 27 or 28 pounds. Oh, wow. um, then there's been a lot of people that have expressed, hey, I'll I'll pay for the shipping. And so next step is we'll offer it, the consumer pays for the shipping and we'll send the cases directly to their house. Um, hmm. Then the step after that is we'll do our best to put ourselves in a situation where we could subsidize the shipping costs, meaning uh, the consumer pays for half and we pay for half, even though we'll lose money on that just to give more people more access. And then finally, free shipping, uh, free product directly to your house. And that will be in the old world of shipping, meaning not consecutive delivery, but just how Amazon or Walmart or any other business does it today. Um, Later on, once we have more capital to get into physical manufacturing and physical distribution, that's when we could start doing consecutive delivery. And then at that point, all localized shipping is free. So I want to dive into a little bit more of this distribution model. Um, just a couple of things that just came to mind. So the first thing you talk about Walmart and you know getting the product in Walmart. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, Walmart, they're, they're a dime a dozen. I mean, you, you go to any town and you'll find a Walmart. So if you can get the product in there, then um, you're, you're golden. You're great. But I feel like it's a little bit more complex than that. And obviously, Josh, I, I, I don't know anything about this, right? This is just off the top of my head. But what I do know is you have to pay for shelf space in Walmart. And what I'm guessing is if you were to have a partnership with Walmart and you know, you're purchasing shelf space in all these stores, I guess to, to offset that you'd have to increase the ad, um, the ads that were actually on the labeling. Is that kind of how you would do that? So I, I guess your question is why would Walmart put your product on the shelf when they're selling water and other stuff? Is that is that the question? Yeah, yeah. So so that question and also, you know, f- internally for free water, how would you how would you go about incurring those costs and offsetting those costs when you're having to purchase shelf space unless unless the partnership is where Walmart says, "Oh, it's free water. We want to you you know, we want to be eco-conscious. We want to do something good for the for the uh, for the world. We're just going to let you do this for free." So I don't know. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Yeah, so- uh, again, we never want to tell a company how to run their business. So in the future, when we start getting distribution from major st- uh, grocery stores, department stores, I predict you'll see it done one of two ways. Again, we're not going to tell them how to do it, but this is my prediction. Um, way number one, if you've ever stepped inside a Costco, Costco puts like the rotisserie chickens and their most discounted products that they always lose money off of in the back of the store. In order to get to the rotisserie chicken, you had to walk by all the cool stuff that they sell, right? Um, So that would be way number one, is that if they had it on a shelf, it would be all the way back. And in order to get it from that Walmart or Whole Foods, you had to pass like every offer that they're going to throw at you, right? Um, 
Way number two is when you check out at the, at the checkout stand, regardless whether you buy a pack of gum or a big screen TV, they say, hey, here's a free water or here's a six pack of free water. So it's not even on the shelf. But what's a Walmart or a Costco full of brands, right? You've got food brands, Chips Ahoy, Budweiser, Nestle, Hershey's, whatever. But then you also have like clothing brands, Levi's, this, that. You've got TV brands, Apple computers. So um, those products in the store are going to be the most likely advertisers for, let's say, a Walmart. So you go and let's say you that it's the model where you check out and they give you something free. So I buy something. They give me this for free. I'm super happy that I got something for free. And I'm like, holy crap, like two packs of cookies for the price of one or I don't know, 25% off the Sony TV I wanted, right? So it gives the consumer added value. Um, It sells more products in their store. Free products are always proven to increase foot traffic. So it's going to drive more people to their store. And a store like Walmart with all of that audience, we would also pay them something to give it away. And so if you combine all of it, the, the increased sales, the increased foot traffic, the the PR from eliminating a, a plastic product because we donate to charity because they're giving people stuff for free. But then the fact that we're going to pay them to give to it, uh, give it away, they'll make as much, if not more money distributing our free products in the future than they could make selling, I don't know, Dasani or Liquid Death or, um, and, and again, um, today the system's not automated. So if today someone wants to advertise, we're kind of operating our business like the year 2000 still. They'll, they'll fill a form out on the website. We'll set up a consultation. Um, we can't automate it yet because we haven't made enough mistakes yet. You don't want to rush into automation and then realize you forgot something. And then everything you've automated gets thrown in the dumpster. So, But when it is automated one day, it'll be a similar yet different, I would say more advanced system than what Facebook, Google, TikTok uses. And so there'll be new types of bidding algorithms that I architected. And Mm -hmm. the more that people bid on that real estate, and let's say the Walmart example, the more we pay them to give it away. So if a store store signed up and they said, hey, I want to give out 10,000 waters a month, but if nobody wanted to bid on it, then no one's going to No one's going to pay you for the free water, free soda, free beer, free cookies. No one's going to sign up for that, right? But on like a Walmart, a Whole Foods, a Costco, uh, we predict there'll be so much bidding that we'll be able to pay them just to give it away their normal margins, if not more. And then they get all these other added benefits, right? Um, Now, the thing is with distribution from a Walmart, it could never be targeted advertising in the same way that it could be from a free vending machine or shipping it to your home. Because if there's no Walmart or Costco doesn't know when you or I are going to walk into the store, like we're going to walk into the store or order something when you feel like it. And so since there's no predictability, you couldn't individualize these products in the same way as if you and I walked up to a free vending machine, you scanned it and out comes the free thing or um, one day when we're distributing the products directly to your home, right? Um, the phenomenon is on like Facebook, Gmail, TikTok, you could be an anonymous user. But on Amazon, you can't be an anonymous user because they're shipping you real life products. It's tied to a payment method. Maybe you're going to order alcohol. So they need to know you're of drinking age, for example. 
um, there's no anonymous users. And so since one day free beer will be a product, right? And you are delivering, ordering free groceries to your home, there'll be no anonymous users on our free Amazon. And again, reason being, what if, Preston, what if you wanted to order 1,000 pounds of oranges? You know, we're just going to be, hey, sorry, Preston, you're a family of whatever, five or six. Like, you don't get 1,000 pounds of oranges every month. You get this many pounds of oranges for free. But if you, you know, if you want, we could send you the other ones. You got to pay the difference. So in order to make sure that people don't waste and abuse on this system, you got to know who they are when you're shipping it to their home or getting it from the vending machine. And you'll never have that level of, of individualization coming from a supermarket unless they put one of our future free vending machines in the market, right? They just say, hey, anybody who rings up at the register, walk up to the free vending machine and take something. Then in that circumstance, it, it could add more layers and give them more value. But um, we never... Are, want to be in a situation to tell a company how to do business. I think that the other advertising platforms like Facebook, Google, TikTok, they give you less choices. They try to put your your vision in a box. And if you don't check these boxes, you can't use their platforms. We're trying to create something more flexible where you might have a, a niche that no one else wants. And we want to give you that really customizable solution, right? Customized holistic solution. And, and so, yeah, that's the tricky thing is the supermarkets will get paid. The good ones will get paid a lot more, but how to target it so they get the best results and ultimately what a best results lead to more distribution and then more donations to charity. The way that my mind is going, and this is just, you know, right, right, right in this moment. So, so shoot me down if this is wrong. But to me, water, I can see an application for water, free water being as accessible in a supermarket like a Walmart as a, as a grocery cart is. You walk in and you get one of these free waters and then you have it while you're grocery shopping. And I feel like everyone, that, that's appealing to most people. And then if we talk about, okay, how can we track demographics in a grocery store? Well, I've seen some, some technology of these, um, these automated grocery stores where you order everything on your phone. Well, I guess what you could do in in the ad space is when you come in and let's say these automated grocery stores, well, they know who the users are because all the users have accounts. So if your water, your free water is there and let's say Chips Ahoy is has their branding on your label, then you can take the demographics of the grocery store on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, show the show the advertisers. And it so seems you're, like no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and the possibilities are endless. I would just say, imagine, um, imagine TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat. They, those apps get to know the user a lot better than, let's say, your local supermarket app that you just use when you're going to maybe place a pickup order or a delivery order. Right. And so what we're building on the free vending machines is a, is, a, is a daily mobile app that you would use for fun purposes outside of getting free stuff. and. And then it's though it's that level of communication with the user and understanding what they do and don't like, which will ultimately bring the most the the best results for the brands, right? Um, and the best results for the user because if a user is going to get free stuff that's paid for by ads, if 
they're not into women's shoes, for example, they're not going to want to get an ad for women's shoes. Right. If they want, uh, you know, a Ford truck, it should be an ad for a Ford truck. And right. so you, you want to show them what they want. And most importantly, you don't want to inconvenience or annoy people. Other advertising mediums, they harass you and they inconvenience you. And I I'd never met someone outside of the Super Bowl who enjoys watching commercials or is happy that their YouTube video was interrupted with a commercial or I still haven't met the person who likes the pop-up ad. Even yeah. the inventor of the pop-up ad publicly stated, like, I I think I made society worse with that invention. And yeah. so it, it's a different model because when you get something for free, you're happy. Um, when you're like, wow, it's free, it, it goes to charity, it, you know, that makes me happy. And that's when you should be like Nike. Not I'm watching the basketball game and then the last three minutes they interrupt the rest of the game with Nike commercials. That doesn't make me want to buy a pair of shoes and it doesn't make me want to support Nike. So one application or one, I guess, event space that I see this being very successful, very popular is in the convention world. So I think tomorrow I'm going to this this tech convention in Atlanta called um, Render ATL. And I mean, my mind's just going to, wow, I mean, instead of businesses, if they had booths, instead of them giving away cards, business cards or a pamphlet, why not give them a bottle? that has a QR code that can be activated and, and you can scan a QR code and it can take you to a cell. I mean, it just makes so much sense because you're, you're giving them value in something physical that they can drink, but you're also giving them um, all of the ad space that they can take and maybe even purchase a product. Yeah, of course. Um, the interesting niche with helping people with the event space though, is you have to deal with the water mafia a lot of times. And I say like water mafia as a very loose term, but, a lot of the venues sell water for 5 to $10 a bottle at these events. So if you give away free water or free soda from your booth, if they don't even pay you up front, they might bill you afterwards an uncorking fee. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, yeah. hey, your booth gave away 5,000 bottles of free water. So now you owe us $50,000 because we would have sold those for $10 each. So the tricky thing with some different venues is you have to deal with their water mafias that are selling water for five, 10, even 15 bucks a bottle. If it's a really high profile event, and then they may charge you for giving away free stuff. And so it's just one of those things. Some events don't some, some events are are welcoming us with open arms and just like, Hey, this is amazing. We want to, we want to support this, but others that sell water for five, 10, $15. Um, I'll give you an example. We wanted to have a booth at South by Southwest two years ago. That's the biggest tech event in Austin, one of the biggest in the country. So we were going to pay like three or four grand for the booth for, to, you know, show showcase free water. And then they were just like, Hey, um, you got to pay us uh, for every logo on the water. They're just like for every logo that's not free water, it's going to be 10 K. But we had like more than 20 different logos there. And so with the uncorking fee plus 10,000 for every brand, plus the booth, plus decorating the booth, we were ultimately going to have to pay a quarter of a million dollars to give people free water. So obviously we said no. And we just pulled up the van in front of the convention center and just gave out all the you know, 20 something thousand waters in the front anyways. 
But like you, you, we have to deal with these things in these early days. Um, and I think we'll, we'll start noticing that when we try to get into like more music festivals, for example, because liquid okay. death has a deal with live. Uh, I believe live nation is one of the biggest investors of liquid death. And that's why you see them at the music festivals and they're selling water for a lot of money. And people are always like, holy crap, I don't want to pay five bucks for a can of water or 10 bucks for a can of water. And so as we get into more festivals, we'll, we'll have to deal with those water mafias. And, um, you know, so you have to be really creative and showing and basically educate these people that they can make more money or the same money sometimes by doing it for free. Um, and it, it's tricky, right? And, and it's, it's counterintuitive and, and it's different. And, and so it's one of those things. Um, same thing with like sporting venues, right? If you go to like a, a basketball game or a baseball game, it might be 10 to 20 bucks for a beer. It might be five to $10 for a water. Um, I foresee in the future where all of that's just baked into the ticket price. So, you know, you've paid your ticket, you could get as many hamburgers, hot dogs, waters, beers, sodas as you want. But now you're going to put like LeBron James on the beer can. You're going to put like QR codes, highlight reels, like um, augmented reality, um, put all the athletes, put Beyonce on the packaging. Instead of selling you a $10 bottle of Dasani, you know, I think that having it baked into the ticket price of their already ridiculously overpriced Taylor Swift concert, why <laughs> not give them all of these things included? It's already paid for, but now you're giving them something that they want. You're giving them like cool collectibles, cool merch, cool opportunities to get involved on a deeper level. Well, you just can't do that with like a bottle of Dasani, right? They don't let you print whatever you want there. I mean, maybe in the future, and I know that, you know, this has got a lot of backlash lately. So, um, you know, people might not like me saying this, but, you know, even a bottle, like you're saying in a sports arena, you might have an activation where, you know, the individual teams might, you know, give away NFTs or something based on the bottle. You know, that, that could be an activation. But, you know, you're exactly right with sports arenas, sports stadiums. I mean, it's incredible price gouging across the board. You know, I we have season tickets to the Braves games, and it's just it's very frustrating, you know, paying $8 to get uh, a, a cup of Powerade. You know, it, it's very frustrating. And so – Josh, I want to talk about, you know, you talked about the water mafia and how that's a big challenge, but I, I kind of want to dive back into and dive into what other challenges that you have faced throughout your tenure at Freewater. I mean, what, what are some of those challenges? Um, I mean, to start the whole, the whole thing was a challenge. Um, I, I'm 38. I graduated high school in 2003 I didn't use a computer in high school. I was that jock. I just played baseball, um, ran like track on the weekends for fun. Never. When I was in high school, the teacher said you couldn't type. They didn't want you to type papers because you could cheat. You had to handwrite everything. And I was fine with that. If I ever needed to type a paper, I'd ask my late mother and she would just type it for me. Um, And so, you know, and I also cheated like most of my way through high school and junior high. Um, now I know I've got really bad dyslexia. Um, I took a dyslexia test a couple of years ago, and maybe that's also why I was never that interested with traditional learning. But when I started this journey, I had always had a phobia of computers and just software or anything. 
Um, that was actually one of the biggest hurdles was like, how am I going to create a tech company if I don't know how to even create a PowerPoint? And so um, then outside of that, it was like, do you really want to do this? Like you can make a lot of industries free. Could that be dangerous? Like could, is Nestle going to retaliate? Um, if you made, if you made gasoline at the pump free by them being able to have ads in their phone or whatever, like is Shell gasoline going to be upset? Like is Walmart going to be mad? Like I went through a number of different reasons in my head of why I shouldn't do it. Also, I'm comfortable. Like, do I want to be uncomfortable and risk my savings and everything? And eventually I just felt really guilty because I was scared. And I ultimately had to deal with those fears and bought a computer. The fear of also being bad when you start something new, you're, you're, you're bad at something. And it's, it humbles you because if you're good at stuff, um, but then you step out of your comfort zone and you're bad at everything. That's, that's a fear in itself. Right. And so I, I got over these fears one by one and it was a really difficult journey because I'm telling people, Hey, we're going to make not only like food and water free, but negatively priced free and donate to charity, um, trying to do free delivery. And people would just be like, shut the F up. It's not humanly possible. And who are you to attempt these things? You're just a former personal trainer and, you know, was in the army for a couple of years. Like, you can't do this stuff. And everybody would tell me, um, no, just quit. Um, I had very little support on this journey. Um, and so little by little got traction. A lot of people would just not even say no, just not respond. Have a conversation with people. Um, a lot of people aren't very transparent. Even if they don't like your idea, they're too scared to tell you that, which I don't like. They'll just be like, oh, great idea. This is amazing. And then you never hear from them again. Um, if I got lucky, I would hear from people and I would get brutally honest feedback. And that really helped the most. They'd be like, you know what, Josh? I don't think that it's possible or I do think it's possible. I don't think you're the right person to get this going. You know, um, I don't think you have the tools or you're lacking in this, you know, and then I would go and fix that. And then I go back to them and they'd be like, okay, well now this is wrong. And, and a few, and a few entrepreneurs really helped and guide me um, just by saying, Hey, this sucks. Make that better. You're not knowledgeable enough in marketing industry. Make that better. You don't understand this industry. You don't eventually I, I plugged in, I plugged those holes. I worked really hard to, know a ton about software and software development and architecture, also the marketing industry. Like I have to know every advertising medium and the pros and cons, um, how to manufacture goods like food and water about the last mile delivery system, how we're going to change it. Um, it's just a really shitty and crappy humbling journey. I think people really romanticize the journey of like an entrepreneur or, a, or an athlete who's been through a lot. And then one day they, they make it right. Um, but for me, the journey just really sucked. Um, during the pandemic, I was in a ton of debt. Um, I was just going to go bankrupt for the project. Um, I would do anything for the project. Uh, my wife and I had very little furniture. We're sleeping on a popped air mattress. We bought a used air mattress from Walmart and our cat Garfield popped it. So every night at like midnight and then at three in the morning, we would have to like fill it up with a hair blow dryer. We didn't even have like a pump. So we'd fill it up with the hair blow dryer. Um, 
I was doing Uber late at night to pay for the first free water proto, like real manufactured, but initial prototypes. Um, and then, yeah, I got the unfortunate call that my mom had passed away. Um, she had fallen and she eventually had died from the injuries of the fall, like a month or so later. And, um, yeah, like, uh, I inherited about a hundred thousand bucks of insurance money and I basically put 90% of it in back into the project. Um, and still was not going as I wanted it to. And then one day a girl reached out and she said, I want to be your TikTok intern. And I said, what does that mean? She's like, I just want to post a few videos and see what happens. And she posted three videos and then she stopped. But the third one did well. It got like 50, 40,000 views. And our website was filled with traffic. I was like, whoa, where did all these people come from? Because just like a month before I spent maybe, I think $9,000 on YouTube ads and nothing really happened. Um, And then all of a sudden, whoa, why is the website flooded? Am I accidentally spending money I don't have on Google and YouTube ads? And no, I realized that one TikTok video really drove a lot of traffic. And then I was like, wow, you know, like when I had the refugee nonprofit in the past, we fundraised a lot of money by getting someone amazing like yourself to donate a hundred bucks, but then we would live stream us spending your donation. I'd let you speak to the, you know, families that you helped. And we're very transparent about that. I was like, what if we go that route, but on social media? So I was like, we're already giving away a bunch of these blue free waters that said free water on it. Maybe I'll try to get some people on camera and see what happens. Very next day that we do it, we got a hundred thousand view video. And then it was like, wow, there really is something to this. And then we just kind of dove all in on the social media side and um, still losing money, like all the first water said free water and then people would reach out to the website and be like can i put my logo on the bottle so then i realized okay we're not communicating well enough so then the next one said your ad here but explained everything you could do with the platform and how to use a qr code in ways a lot of people in the u.s hadn't thought about it yet um and that helped more but then people needed to see like stuff that they usually would see in magazines or on tv So then I just started giving away the ad space in the early days. I'd go to brands that had cool artwork and just be like, I'll give you, you know, ad space on a couple thousand waters just because I want to prove our printing capabilities. And then people started seeing like, oh, wow, you could put clothing, people, cars, TVs, cool stuff on the packaging that they never really um, envisioned. And then once people started seeing that you could print anything, people started reaching out and placing like partial advertising orders. Like, Hey, I want one third of the label on the aluminum bottle. And then we're out of pocket on the other two thirds, which is great. No problem. And then it was two thirds. And then it was, Oh, I want the whole packaging. And, and little by little, it just started taking off. Now we're in the middle of closing some major deals with some big hotel chains that want just like half a million waters just for their hotel every year or, this or that. And so it's, it's accelerating really quickly, but it's been a really humbling journey that sucked a lot of the way. And it's still really hard. It's really hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like I just read your memoir in like a a, a seven minute span. I just got the whole story right there. And that's, that's awesome. I, I will say, Josh, that my first 
introduction to free water was through a TikTok video. And I didn't realize it until recently when, you know, I was on LinkedIn and I was and I was coming across some articles and I saw free water again. And I said, I think I've seen this company before. Uh, and that's when I remembered the TikTok. So, I mean, I want to dive into the viral aspect of your marketing and of, you know, free water. I mean, uh-huh. TikTok, you have a million, right at a million followers, which is unbelievable. Yeah, it's on, like 920 on TikTok. But I think we've got... Close to 1.2 if you add up all of the platforms right now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that is, that is remarkable. I mean, people, people, what I see from that is people are believing in your mission and they want to contribute. They want to help. They want to make this thing happen. So, um, could you talk about, you know, I mean, you mentioned a little bit bringing in this TikTok intern, that third video you get, you know, however many tens of thousands of views. But what is what is the strategies behind these two platforms that have been able to gain so many followers and eyeballs on on your brand? I think it's just the mission, you know, like earlier in this podcast, you said, well, water should be free. A lot of people, if you physically get a free water, you're like, water should be free. Um, And people say, hey, food, medicine, these things should be free, too. Um, So people believe in the mission. They believe that a lot of these things should be free anyways. They believe that it should be done or attempted in the most eco-friendly manner possible. And it's like, oh, wow, that's even better. It donates to charity too. And so that's really it. And then even though to date, I think we're at like 160, 170,000 free waters distributed now in the last 18 months, um, 167,000 or something, we'll say, um, We've got the network effect of a for sale water company that sold maybe 500 million or more. Um, Because by the end of this year, if not like first quarter next year, we'll likely reach our one billionth organic impression. And so that's huge because we don't spend for it's all organic. And so um, if you get a physical water from us, like you got if you're one of those 170,000 people or whatever that got a free water from us so far you're sold for the rest of your life. Like, oh, I want free water. I want free soda. I want free pizza, clothing, puppies, Ubers, iPhones, anything, TVs, right? But if you see a video of somebody getting something for free, you're equally as sold. Like, I want free iPhones. I want free clothes. I want free food. I want any of these things. And so some of our videos have, like, because we repost them, like close to 100 million organic impressions, like a solo video or you know, have been shared like 300,000 times some of these videos. And so that's, it's a big network effect versus like, a, let's say a Red Bull, Red Bull, they sell the product. Um, and they had to sell 500 million of them in order to have that sort of network effect. Um, but like a Red Bull or a monster, because I've spoken to a lot of those executives, every year, they give away millions and millions of Red Bulls and monsters for a loss. And they do that to spread the word about their brand, right? It's a lifestyle brand, like extreme sports and whatever. But they had said, look, Josh, if we don't give away these millions of free Red Bulls or monsters every year, our business would go under because a lot of people need to try it first, right? But we lose money on that when we do that. That's your business model. Mm -hmm. Um, This is amazing, you know? Um, And so I, I keep hearing that from other beverage executives, which is, and other people in food and beverage on the higher up levels, like we have to give away our product for free, like what percentage of it every year in order to maintain growth. 
and we lose money, but that's how your business model is. Hmm. And so it, it's fascinating, right? And then we also have a culture of like, look at Mr. Beast. He's famous because he gives away everything. But he started right. with smaller giveaways and now it's, you know, crazy competitions every day. And so we do live in a culture where now people like to watch other people play video games. When I grew up, they wanted to play the video games, not watch them. And I think with like philanthropic missions, they also like to watch it happen and come along for the journey. And so we're really trying our best to give everybody ownership of the journey um, the highs, the lows, to be very transparent with the good and the bad and the complexities. Um, we allowed people to make donations uh, and put their name on our website for life. I mean, I don't think Google or Amazon or Coke or Pepsi would let you put your name, you know, Preston on the website for life. And so we're really trying to give people access and ownership to this really difficult journey. And I, I think people some people at least appreciate it and like coming along for the ride. A lot of these followers are like, Hey, like a guy called the other day, I've got a, a soda manufacturing company in the U S I'm going to open some new plants soon. Um, could we create a, a soda line for you? And I'm just like, yes. Yeah. And that, that came from a live stream. And so everybody's pitching in. That's the coolest part. Yeah. Yeah. It's when, when humans all come together for a shared mission, you can really do some cool things. So Josh, one of these, one of the last segments we'll do on this show, I really want to dive into the sustainability piece because again, the whole mission of this podcast is around sustainability. And the first thing I want to do is, you know, talk about plastic water bottles. I know that you, you don't, you, you don't have plastic water bottles. You don't give away plastic bo water bottles, but I want to give a, a brief history of the plastic bottle because I would like the listeners to understand how we came from a generation of drinking tap water to now buying $5 water bottles from you know, an event or going to the grocery store and, and paying awful amounts of money for, for water bottles. So you know, plastic water bottles are 2,000 times the price of tap water, but you still see sales spike year over year. Um, and the question is why and how did somebody at some point change the mindset of the average consumer with the plastic bottle? And so I did some research. Um, and again, I'll keep this very brief, but um, it looks like back, I think back in the 60s, back in the 70s, the French mineral water brand Perrier um, hired this guy named Bruce Nevins who who came in to to relaunch this brand in America. And what he did was put the put the brand, put the actual product in a plastic green bottle and they would sell it. And, you know, they were getting a lot of traction by doing this and they were showing the bottle um, and the brand as being this better version of water. Right. No longer do you drink tap water that's contaminated. No, no longer do you you know, drink out of the faucet. Now you have something that's fresh, that's straight from a mineral and, you know, they, they kind of um, persuaded people to go against what they'd always done. And, you know, that's that's kind of what happened. And, you know, in the 1970s, you had these giant soft drink companies that saw this. And, you know, they were worried because they saw their growth projections start to level off. Um, and the companies found their next big idea in these Perrier bottles, these, this French company. And again, you go back to, OK, Perrier did it. But how did they do it? It's because they manufactured demand. How do they manufacture demand? It's because they generated fear. You know, how do politicians bring the masses together? It's by generating fear. 
and, you know, these big companies did the same thing by, by saying that tap water was contaminated, you know, it had these chemicals in it, you, you can't drink it, you know, you have to buy our water, you have to, um, it's going to make your skin healthier, it's going to do all these things. And it, it was this whole, this whole thing and people bought into it. And now you're seeing even today that water bottle sales are, are still up there. And, you know, I was an athlete, um, I played college football and, you know, I've, I've drank a lot of plastic waters over my time, um, just from the convenience, right? But what I'm, what I'm seeing now, Josh, is it seems like free water is trying to flip the script entirely 50 years later by now providing consumers with a bottle for free. So now you have the convenience, like we said, but we're not going to charge you a, a arm and a leg for it. We're going to give it to you for free. Um, so that's, it's wild to think that you could convince someone to pay for something that is readily available in our world, but they did it because they're incredible at marketing. <laughs> it was, it's probably one of the biggest marketing endeavors of all time to get people to pay for water in the first place. I put it up there. It's better than that, but um, like string cheese in the nineties, mozzarella was, they had too much of it. They didn't know what to do with it. So they rebranded it as string cheese. And then that got their sales up. Same thing with like those baby carrots. They're called baby carrots. Those were the carrot pieces that they threw away that were deformed and no one wanted them. So like, what if we clean them and just rebranded it as baby carrots? So there's instances in marketing on consumer products where people have done amazing things, but they manufactured the demand in the early days when they said um, the tap water wasn't safe in the US. That was actually, it was pretty safe. Um, but now because of like water lobbyists and who else knows why the government has not invested a bunch of money into public water utilities. And now in many cities, the water isn't as safe and that's the scary thing. And so when they first got started, I think in the seventies, sixties, the tap water in the U S was perfectly safe. But now you fast forward to today and it's something like 200 million Americans, which includes our family has PFAS contamination in the tap water. It's like any city that has an airport or a military base might face this cam contamination and they're just not fixing it because they don't know how to fix it. But us being in Austin, Texas, we've got military bases and airports. We definitely have this issue, right? And so there's less public drinking fountains being made by cities. There's less infrastructure for people to get the product for free. And so that's the... That's the scary part, right? Um, but it was an amazing marketing ploy. It did start with Perrier. The soda companies then said, oh, well, we can't drink soda forever or people will get like diabetes. And now bottled water is the, the highest selling grossing beverage in the United States. It's the number one most popular sold beverage in America. A lot of people say, well, water is not a beverage, but it's technically it is when you package it by definition of beverages in America. Um, and then only, I think, like five or six years ago, did water become a publicly traded commodity in the futures market? No different than like oil, pork bellies, um, honey. And that's the scary thing is that right now it is 2,000 times the price of tap water or more. But in closed rooms, I guarantee you Nestle, Coke, and Pepsi want it to be 20,000 times the price of tap water, right? And so they want... It's sad that companies can make more money off of other people's suffering. And so I don't think that a company like Coke or Pepsi or Nestle should be able to profit off of the 
the tap water infrastructure getting crappier in the U.S., but they are. It, it's it's also if you look at the whole cycle, it's it's an awful it's awful for the environment. I mean, you're taking oil to create plastic to create these bottles, then you're creating these bottles, and then you're shipping them, which causes emissions. You're shipping these to somewhere to sh- to sit on a shelf um, just for someone to grab a bottle and to drink it and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> but even but even plastic bottled water, a third of those are also being thrown away too, just like yeah. the food and everything else. So the mileage is an important thing, or the kilometers, depending on what country you're from. But I'll give you an example. Um, plastic bottled water, uh, it starts as oil. So they dig it and they drill it in, let's say, the Middle East. And they send that oil on a tanker all the way to China. Uh, and then they make plastic pellets. And then those plastic pellets are then melted to form a plastic bottle. All of this process loses water in the equation because you need water to, you know, make all these machines and stuff go around. Um, Then they bottle it somewhere. Um, Let's say in France, like the French Alps or liquid death is also bottled in Europe, even though it's not a plastic bottle. Then it gets shipped all the way to your local supermarket and it sits in a warehouse for sometimes months or years. Then eventually you buy it, you drink it. Even if you throw the plastic bottle in the blue bin, 91% of them are still not recycled. Because the city just doesn't have the infrastructure, the state just doesn't want to do it, or it's just not profitable for them, right? Um, but if you look at now, like every cereal box or pasta box or whatever products you're buying from the supermarket, and you dissect the inks, the packaging, the product itself, a lot of these products are traveling 5, 10, 15, 20,000 miles to get to your local market. And we believe the future on a lot of goods, not every good, right? Because some goods have to be imported, but a lot of goods can just be manufactured locally in every city, Um, manufactured at location A, make the packaging at location A, advertise on it at location A, and give it away for free at or within a small, you know, few miles away from location A. Now notice that there's no crazy mileage baked into that. Hmm. And then at full realization to be able to distribute those locally to consecutive homes and businesses because it's free. Um, And so it's at at full realization, it's just way you can't even compare it on the on the efficiency and green side just because we're going to do our absolute best to instead of having products travel 20,000 miles, do it in a few hundred miles or less. And then, yeah, one day deliver it consecutively and maybe even pick up the trash ourselves consecutively from the people we drop this off at to ensure that it gets recycled. Because some cities just won't do it. Some cities, like you're saying, don't have the infrastructure. I mean, I've talked on this a lot in in the past episodes, but where I went to college in Eastern Kentucky, there was no recycling infrastructure, so you couldn't do it. So a lot of cities, even in the U.S., you would think, wow, the U.S., we, we have the capabilities, but we don't. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm very happy, Josh, that with free water, you know, you're doing a lot of good things, but you're also doing it with the, the environment in mind by using aluminum bottles and these paper cartons. Um, so one thing I, would, I, I do want to ask you, when you're giving away these these bottles, these these cartons, do you promote recycling on the bottles labeling? Sometimes. And on the, on the, our side of the info, we do. Okay. So um, this is like an older bottle. We don't have this border anymore. We're trying to shrink our real estate more and more to give the brands as much as, as much exposure as possible. Some of the advertisers in their model is just like put, you know, recycle me in the artwork even. 
And so it really depends on the nature of it. We always try to tell people, refill it. Like that would say even more important or as important as recycling is refill it as many times as you can before you recycle it. Right. Um, that's really what makes it greener. That's really what will give the advertiser more impressions too. But again, today it's it's not as green as it will be in the future. It, it's greener than most because we're doing more sustainable packaging models, but we're still shipping it and distributing it in these old school styles. Um, the When it gets really green is one day when we get into physical manufacturing ourselves in these new ways and then we we do everything localized, um, and that that really is going to be a game changer. You talked on this briefly in the beginning, but I want to get back into it uh, because I'm very interested in this topic of hemp and hemp packaging. I, I, I talked on um, this guy Alex Blum in the beginning, Applied Bioplastics. They're using hemp and hemp fibers to create um, to create plastic. They're creating you know housing housing from hemp, and hemp can be used for a lot of different things. But with with hemp packaging, I mean, you're talking about in like the most sustainable means of having a package. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. That's that's a massive, massive, massive goal to have. Um, And that's probably a ways away. But, you know, I just kind of want to dive into that and kind of pick your brain a little bit. Sure. So if you track down the mileage on the paper carton, there's still a lot of mileage, right? We're not doing everything in-house. This tree was cut down in North America. Then it goes a few hundred miles to the paper mill. They mill it. Then it goes to this location, that location. It's got a lot of stops before it gets to the print shop and then before they fill it. Um, And again, even though it's paper, it's just not as green as where we want to take it in the future. So big picture, uh, you grow the hemp with vertical indoor farming in every major city in the world, starting with Austin, you grow the hemp at location A, we turn it into the packaging at location A, we do the printing at location A, you fill it at location A, right? And then you give it away at or near location A. What we don't have to do in the future is the same machines that fill these this packaging right here don't need to be redesigned. We're just going to make the same exact style box but just instead of it being 92% paper, 8% plastic, or today we even offer a more expensive bio box, 92% paper, all this is sugarcane, um, all from a single plant, but all from a single city, single location, and then to, you know, at full realization, collect it, and then us break it down. It'll take a lot of R&D because in America, the standard plastic bottle, aluminum container, paper carton, glass bottle, they all have two-year expiration dates. And so it would require a decent amount of money for R&D to do it, create this new packaging that, again, just goes through the same printing and the same filling lines, um, but then to ensure that it, it survives two years minimum. And then we could go to market with a new supply chain. Um, the, no one offers that anywhere in America, hemp packaging, period. And that's kind of sad because it has 50 or 100,000 industrial use cases, as you mentioned. and it is a really cool option and you get a lot of cool byproducts. Like the byproduct of that would be an unlimited amount of CBD that you could also give away for free. Right. Oh. Um, and, and other things. And so it has to be step by step for many potential investors. For example, we're already according to them biting off more than we should be chewing where 
we should have done plastic bottles or you shouldn't donate to charity until you're a big company or you shouldn't. Um, we feel like we're not doing enough in the early days. So every perspective is different, but we're, we're trying to do it more and more and more. Um, we're really trying to raise the bar of business ethics in today's society. Patagonia, I think to many would be maybe the top tier socially conscious company out there. But in the future we're trying to make, we're raising the bar so high. We don't even want Patagonia to register as a socially conscious brand. Right. And so I think it's sad that in these early days, they're the, they're the leader, but in the future, I think in order to have a sustainable future, they can't even register if that makes sense. So Josh, the final segment in, in this show that we'll talk about is, you know, the future plans for um, free water. I mean, we, we've obviously touched on them a lot throughout the show, but, you know, I really want to talk about, um, you know, your path to expansion and how you plan to get there. I mean, we talk about the, the the free vending machines, which is a really cool thing. So diving into that a little bit. But, you know, just talk about, you know, your future plans and kind of what you see growth wise for free water. So we're we're working on a few different fronts right now. Um, we're pushing out free water. Um, we're lining up. We're actively searching for other manufacturers in the U.S. for products like free soda. Um We'll need to raise roughly $5 million or more just for the legal behind free beer. Mm. Not to manufacture the beer. That's cheap and easy. It's almost the same as water, but just for the legal behind free beer. Um, and again, free beer that donates to charity, 21 or over. No no funny business here, right? Um, and, and then, yeah, just a ton of tech in the vending machines and distribution side of things. And so things are kind of growing really rapidly. Um, some things are taking longer than expected, um, like our first vending machine version 1.0, because we're using existing hardware. And what I didn't realize getting into this were vending machines are designed to be slow. They usually could give you two things a minute at best. But in the future, we want machines that can do 10 or 50 things a minute. And so right now we're hacking a physical hardware to get the most units out of it per minute. Um, why? Because we need to do beta testing because people are asking, well, if a vending machine's free, how many times will it be emptied every day? That's like the magic question that we don't even know yet. Um, you know, if a vending machine is free and it's on like a busy street in Times Square, New York City, will it be emptied one time a day, two times a day, 20 times a day? Um, I believe 10 to 15. Right. And so, but we're, we have to test that and, and prove that. And so, at 10 cents a unit or more being distributed to charity, the standard vending machine holds 350 beverages. If it's emptied one time a day, it will donate $10,000 to charity. If it's donating, if it's emptied 10 times a day, $100,000 a year to charity. And so these machines will act as distribution points for fast donations to charity um, and really targeted marketing, which we're excited for. Um, vending machine version two will be our own hardware. And, and, and new technologies packed into that. I can't dive too deep into it just because we're going to patent some of it. But the technologies from Vending Machine 2 will be applied to micro-fulfillment, micro-factories, and last-mile delivery trucks. And that's going to enable, it's going to really change last-mile delivery and and just free groceries to your house for free. It's, it's going to be a game changer because even Amazon, Amazon's not free, but you still have to pay for Prime. 
our equivalent of Prime in the future is going to cost you zero. Free products, free delivery. And so there'll be a um, like a tipping point, you know. Um, I bought the first iPhone 1, and then a year later, it seemed like every phone copied their screen. And so I don't know what that tipping point will be. Will it be us doubling our social media followers? Will it be us getting distribution in like a Walmart? Will it be us finally executing on the free vending machine version one and then having like 48 of them in downtown Austin? And Austin's a very international city having people just, holy crap, there's a free vending machine. This is so cool. Um, Is it going to be, I don't know, us being on a major TV show or something but I do believe that tipping point is coming in the next 12 or l- later months, even 90 days, where just the whole movement explodes. And then you see Coke, Pepsi, and Nestle come and copy too. And so imagine if every can of Coca-Cola donated 10 cents to charity. Times that by every can of Coke in the world. That's going to be a massive windfall of money to charity. And so that's what I predict. Um in the next X number of years in the future is that uh, you can't find a solid number. Even if you ask chat GPT um, for like how many beverages are manufactured in the U S every year, every type of beverage, non-alcoholic, alcoholic, how many food products have packaging every year? That's it's a big number. And right now, none of them like less than far less than 1% are utilizing their real estate to drive more money. They're all using their real estate to brand themselves. Like here's a coffee cup from a gas station. I got a coffee earlier. Um, It has the name of the gas station. This should be Nike, Airbnb. They would not pay for these cups. Instead, they're paying for these cups, right? And they would profit off of it. And then they have the opportunity to donate to charity too. And so we're just... It's a movement of utilizing your company's real estate correctly, both in the physical with QR codes and NFC chips, and then in the augmented reality, mixed reality zone. Hmm. And so what what I predict is, let's say 10 years from now, today, there's less than 1% of brands utilizing their real estate correctly. 10 years from now, I would say 90% will. And that is going to ultimately drive prices down. Even if things are costing money, they'll be subsidized and cheaper. Um, even if it's if it's free, it's free. And if it's negatively priced, it's free plus donating to charity or giving something to the consumer. And so X number of years from now, when the majority of these consumer product packaging real estates are being developed as a revenue stream and also as a savings and also to help charitable causes, I think that billions, if not trillions of dollars are going to go to these causes. And, and that's going to be amazing. And I think that that's, that's what we need in this world. We need, we need to all come together. Um, we need to work together outside of the governments, you know, cause governments are not, they're just this, you know, outside of governments, people need to come together. If we don't come together as consumers and businesses, you just simply won't be able to tackle these environmental issues. And so you look at like the Cokes and the Pepsis and they always backtrack. They'll say, oh, by this year, we'll use 100% recycled bottles. And then that year comes and they're like, uh, maybe in 20 years. Or there's there's just nothing holding these companies accountable um, to do better. 
And so that's why we're trying to raise the bar really high. We're trying to put a lot of pressure on them to say like, look, you can do it in a more eco-friendly way and drive more revenue. Right. And eventually they'll just, they'll have to copy. You can't make a thousand dollars off of a can of Coke, but we've created dozens of ways where you can do it off of a free water soda, bag of potatoes. Eventually Coke and Pepsi and Nestle are going to be like, I want a thousand dollars on a bottle of water. Hey, let's copy them and let's donate 10 cents per can to whatever cause the CEO thinks is cool. And when every can of Coke is donating five or 10 cents to charity, whatever cause that might be, it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. That's what we predict. That's what I predict. That's what I'm excited for. That's why I like doing this. It's just to try to encourage companies in a competitive way to be as green as humanly possible and as transparent as humanly possible and to donate as much money as humanly possible to whatever cause moves them. So my, my prediction is in the future, there's going to be a Netflix documentary on free water and it's going to blow everything up, blow everything wide open because I mean, it just, it makes so much sense. I mean, what you're doing in, in the viral aspect of social media, of what you've done, I mean, the story's incredible, the mission's incredible, and your leadership is obviously incredible as well. So I, I, I think so. I mean, if I was a betting man, I, w- I would put money down right now to say Netflix is going to um, produce a film on free water in the future, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to do big things for the brand. Um, so, Josh, last question I have. I ask everybody on the show this. The question is, it's very vague, um, but why is sustainability important? That is really late. Yeah. Um, look, like I'll, I'll get a little bit more technical on this. Um, and this was really eye-opening to me. I learned this earlier in the journey. Um, aggregate efficiency measures the entire supply chain from raw material to finished product and how it's disposed. And believe it or not, the peak efficiency of American manufacturing was only 15% all the way back in 1995. And since 1995, efficiency when it comes to manufacturing has only gone down because of globalization and companies wanting to pay people less and across the world. Hey, who cares if it's worse for the environment? Let's ship this all the way to another country and pay them an unlivable wage and try to cut corners and costs and whatever, right? Um, But 15% efficiency, meaning 85% loss in every t-shirt they make or bag of potatoes they fill or that's not sustainable i mean the earth feels big but it's not that big right and so it's we're like in a little petri dish look at these islands of trash in the ocean there's like seven of them each are twice the size of texas um these are major problems and um politicians won't talk about them Right. Because big oil is so powerful. It has one politician, not even a Bernie Sanders, who's as left as they come in the U.S. He won't even talk about the islands of trash. Right. Like, thank God there's like people like the Ocean Cleanup Project and and they're doing amazing things. And but big media doesn't talk about it. Right. And so we live in this really scary moment right now where it's like with mass extinctions, Amazon's getting cut down. Um We've got these wars, right? Like the the U.S. military makes more carbon than all business and stuff combined. Probably that never gets talked about either, right? And so we we need to hurry. 
And we need to hurry for a lot of reasons because, um, yeah, there's a lot of water on Earth, but there's not that much fresh water. And we're not building desalination plants fast enough. Um, we're not doing a lot of things fast enough. Meanwhile, every time there's an oil spill, every time there's a chemical spill, every we're losing our, our valuable resources. And, and yeah, even goes down to the farmer. Like farmland is getting worse and worse and worse because every year they're using more and more pesticides and more and more fertilizers. And because um, they went away from organic in a very a long time ago. And so if we don't hurry, if we don't do something different, drastic, dramatic, very quickly, I, I don't want to like be doom and gloom, but I think all is lost. Like, who cares? You know, the richest people in the world, I don't care if you've got billions or trillions of dollars, they're even going to be unhappy when the environment goes to shit because who's going to be happy? It doesn't matter rich or poor, um, but the poorest people will face the, the burden the hardest. And I just think we need to come together. Um, we need to push big companies to do better, keep them accountable, get rid of lobbyists in the United States. So then politicians can talk about things like these islands of trash and these very pollutive things going on. And there almost needs to be like a space race moment for whatever, you know, to, to race the Russians. We, we put a person on the moon many years ago and did all these amazing things. Why can't our country come together? And instead of financing these endless wars, why can't we come together and and make things greener and more eco-friendly and and do some amazing projects like you know save the amazon for example or save right. the ocean or like that's what i think america needs i think that's what the world needs um before it's too late it's just and i think it could be too late what if all the plastic pollution stopped today what if everything flipped the switch and today was magically the exact opposite of way things are today, it might still be too late. Right. I mean, do you think it's too late if everything flipped to like the exact opposite today, this moment and everything just flipped to the most eco-friendly, everything humanly capable with technology. Do you think it's already too late? I, I'm optimistic. I'm a very optimist, optimistic person. So I think that, you know, if you get enough people rowing in the same boat with the same mindset that you can, like I said, you can achieve great things. So, you know, we have damaged the environment, the ozone, you know, we've done all these things over the years, but I think that there is still potential to get it back and to make things better for future generations. I mean, because that's ultimately when I think of sustainability, what I'm thinking of is creating a better world for future generations and if we don't and if we don't if we don't go about our everyday lives thinking about the environment then the future generations are going to suffer and they're not going to have the same world that we in that we have today so josh um if the listeners want to find you and your company on you know your website your social media pages where where can they find you yeah if you want to reach out uh, come find us at freewater.io that's our website or freewater.io is all of our social medias um, or just reach out uh, to me directly on LinkedIn. My name's Josh Cliffords. And uh, yeah, we uh, it's not possible to change the world and the way world works without everybody's help. So we need everybody's help, please. Um, we're, we're really trying to work quickly and to you know build water projects and help the environment as fast as humanly possible. So if anybody can or wants to add value, 
the door's wide open. We need everybody's help on this. Well, Josh, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story and sharing all about free water. Um, we will make water accessible to all and water free for all. Um, I have no doubt about that. So just thank you so much. My pleasure, Preston. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.